Good day, beautiful people. Welcome to another episode of Kiko's Free Thinkers Forum. This is episode 68, Believe It or Not. And we're joined by oh, a repeat guest. What's that? I should have been the next episode. Anyway. <laughs> we're joined by Gavin Bonney. He's a repeat guest. He's running as an independent out of the state of Oregon for the United States um, presidency. Uh, the office of president of the United States of America, the highest office in the land. Um, you guys can go back to episode 37 and watch our first interview that we did together with Gavin Bonney. Um, I just wanna say welcome back to the show and we can't wait to hear some of your views and we appreciate you accepting our invitation again. Yeah. Oh yeah, no problem. I appreciate the support. Um, I I keep coming back to this. I, I, I put it down sometimes for personal health reasons, but I keep coming back to it. I think I really wanna do it. Um, and hopefully hopefully this time around, I can get some, some outside support. Well. In that vein, um, we will talk about this some with um, the people in the field running with against you uh, for the Office of President of the United States. And we're not talking about the, the figureheads on TV that people already know about those names. We're talking about people who are um, true independent candidates and running outside of the, the Red-Blue Alliance is what we call it here on Kiko's Free Thinkers Forum. I just want to give an ad and just say that thanks to all the listeners and viewers We've officially reached 90 different countries in the world, all 50 states, United States. So um, we've almost reached half the world just on my small platform. And uh, we're going to continue to grow. Um, we're on the cusp of something major. I can feel it. People have already sent me messages and stuff. People are following me. They have millions of followers on their platforms. And that kind of goes into a point I want to mention with Gavin and the rest of the independents and third-party candidates running for office. It not only pertains to people running outside of this um, colluding blue-red um, team, the Democratic-Republican Party, the Dem-Republican Party. Um, we also face this in independent media. We have a lot of people who are so-called independent media that don't promote some of the smaller independent channels. And so we're not going to grow on our own. We need the support to grow. So I urge my listeners to simply subscribe for free. I'm not asking you for a penny of your money. I'm simply asking for you to subscribe if you like the content and share it with your friends and family. And that's the way independent media can grow. And you can like the videos that will help with the algorithm. We have to go against the algorithm. They're shadow banning certain channels because of the type of content we talk about. We talked about Palestine the day before yesterday. We talked about Julian Assange yesterday. So we don't talk about just sports. Yeah and music and pop culture stuff. We talk about very serious issues. And so um, I urge Gavin's audience and anybody that's following this forum because people are watching it. I can see all the statistics on my end. Please give us a subscribe and like if you like what you see. If you don't like what you see, you don't have to pay attention to us. But pretend that we're just your favorite celebrity, your favorite musician, because you're up in arms, you're ready to buy tickets, and spend your money and break the bank to go to the concerts so you can at least click the independent media channels for free because people are watching the, con the content. So um, don't mean to rent too much, but I think it's an interesting observation that you made off the air um, about the questions around your visibility, your campaign taking off the way you want it to. And just to make another announcement before we start this interesting conversation, episode 68, I want to say that there's going to be a presidential forum in December. It is official. Everyone has agreed to appearing on this forum. I'm going to be the sole moderator. 
but there will be audience questions. There have already been several questions filtered from the audience that will be directed towards the five candidates that are going to be a part of this presidential forum. Gavin Bonney, who I'm speaking with today, is going to be one of the participants. Brittany Jones, who's also running in the state of Oregon. I don't know if you know who she is, but she's running. That's another thing. Someone that's in your home state and you're completely <laughs> unaware of them and they're unaware of you. But that's what independent candidates have to deal with, the suppression um, of the algorithm, their searches not being found when you type the names in, because I've tried typing in everybody's name and it doesn't come directly up on the Google search like it does some of your major candidates that are running. Uh, Jasmine Sherman, they're running under the Unicorn Party ticket and Green Party ticket as well, based in North Carolina. Mike Termod is a libertarian running out of the state of Florida and Virginia. And Hashaki Nichols is running out of the state of Georgia, unaffiliated under the Redemption Party banner. So we have a plethora of people running, different types of ideas. But now the attention focuses on Gavin, Mr. Bonnie. I want to ask um, the first question. You actually have an audience question. So I want to get that out of the way um, because people are following the content in the forum. And this question comes from Anthony. He's one of probably my more devote listeners lately. He found out about... Um, the platform has really been promoted a lot. So I appreciate um, Anthony. I, I give a shout out to him, especially a shout out to Randy for really promoting the content and everyone else who shares Kiko's Freethinkers Forum content. This question is, how do you intend to, to move Congress and create change? I think people are desperate for change to happen right now, but this person wants to know, what are some of your plans to move Congress in the direction that you want to move them into? and to create the change that we need as a country? Um, well, the first and most obvious thing would be uh, term limits. I mean, <clears throat> that's such a simple, and uh, it's just such a simple idea. And I think the majority of people, if you sit down and talk to them, agree that it's a good idea. And there should be term limits to each, each different seat. And I think similar to the military, um, if you, take a certain seat at a certain level, maybe you shouldn't be able to go back down to another seat. Um, now, I know there'll be, there'll be backlash with that. Um, one of the things that I've always thought of is an age limit. Uh, I probably won't talk too much about that because that's definitely like, well, what, how, do you set, how do you not be ageist, right? But the main thing would definitely just be term limits. It's just so obvious. Um, but when you do the term limits, you'd have to you have to do something about the lobbyists because there's too many of them. Um, but I'll deal with it as it comes. <laughs> so, <laughs> what, what specific term limits do you have in mind when you say that I totally agree and I think most people would agree. Everyone says it, even on um, the Democratic and Republican sides, they say <laughs> that there, there needs to be term limits. But what does that mean in a Gavin Bonney administration? Oh, probably similar to the president, like eight years, maybe 12, um, just so you can kind of be outside of a couple administrations. Um, and just because the nature of those politics are a little different. But I also, in general, um, I think I want to do a lot of, uh, uh, what's the word, consolidation of government uh, in the first place, because the tax money should be going back to the people, not to nothing, basically. <laughs> when you say government consolidation, are you are you talking about shrinking the government? 
um, shrinking or moving positions around, making sure that every position is filled and productive. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there's a there's a concept of uh, no no petty laws or useless officials. Uh, some people might know where that comes from. Um, and I think that that's a brilliant idea because if we are a country that does have our first amendment and everyone is independent and a free thinker, um, we don't need, we don't need too many checks and balances, right? Like a true anarchy, people are running themselves. So you want to get as close to anarchy as you can. Um, but obviously you need a little bit of control so that people aren't running around murdering each other and all that. See, now that's interesting because I listened to our first episode probably five different times yeah. and we started off talking about like your idea of what government is, just the overall concept. Yeah. And you mentioned something about anarchy in that piece because I asked you, what does it mean to be an independent? And you yeah. kind of talked about how you've always been an independent more or less, but you have to expand on that for people because that scares a lot of people when they hear the term anarchy. Right. How do we debunk what anarchy means to you versus what people could take it as meaning in a negative sense? Well, right. And, and a lot of it comes from, um, you know, I have an affinity for the psychology of martial arts and things like that. Um, the anarchy, anarchy and martial law are kind of like a two, two-sided coin in my, my view, my perception. Um, and yeah, that like it's they use like the government that's established now uses anarchy and martial law kind of as a scary concept, right? Because in anarchy and martial law, you do have complete control over yourself, which leaves, you know, leaves the avenue open for for evil to be done, right? Um, so it comes down to just in order to live close to anarchy or martial law in peace it comes down to individual people just kind of learning how to take control of their lives better and taking advantage of that first amendment right that is that is special to the united states are you equating anarchy with martial law like you have to you have to elaborate on that yeah. song so because martial law to me means something completely different from what i yeah. hear is anarchy so As someone that has anarchist leanings themselves so anarchy, right, is just no government, self-governance. Well, martial law is basically the same thing. It's the law of war, the law of survival. So that's why I call it a two-sided coin. You know, one hand washes the other. I think anarchy and martial law kind of go together. Really? Mm-hmm. Really? They seem like polar opposites, though. That's why it's a two-sided coin. One hand washes the other, right? Yin-yang kind of kind of I idea. Get you. I get you, but that's it. Do you think that that's a little bit too simplistic? Because there's a lot in between those two, right? When you're right. agree? Yeah. And there is um, there is a higher level of thinking, I think, uh, maybe I've been exposed to um, with it. But, um, yeah, the, it's just when people don't have that, that blanket, the security blanket, something like telling them what to do or what is the right way, um, as opposed to being able to lead themselves, it, it, it's scary and it can be manipulated, you know, for, for good or evil. Um, mm, I, I see that point. 
I definitely like I get that sense. It doesn't yeah. really matter. It, it kind of goes into the whole debate with um, authoritarianism. What type right. of authoritarianism do you prefer? I don't prefer either one. So right. exactly. even though I'm even though I'm a leftist, I don't want any sort of authoritarianism. You know what I mean? It doesn't right. matter what spectrum and you're on. In anarchy and martial law, there is ultimately you're your own authority. If you get if you get to the bare bones of either concept, anarchy or martial law, you are your own authority. In martial law, if someone attacks you, you have the right to defend yourself, right? So you are the authority. You decide whether you live or die based on whether you can defend yourself. That's but martial, martial law. law to me it sounds like a scary concept. Martial law to me sounds like it almost get the picture that the military would be in control of everything. So in that well, case, how would you be? Okay. So so here's here's the thing about martial law. If if the world were at martial law, which I mean technically the whole universe is at martial law, um, the safest place for an individual to be would be a military because that's where all the supply lines are, and that's where people are going to do what they need to do to survive, which is kind of a um, you could say that's a morbid concept or maybe a cynical concept, but that's how war is. Um, but we've had, we know there's societies, you know, before predating uh, Western, the Western societies now where they went thousands of years without war. Um, mm -hmm. And it's because they know, they know these things, these yogic laws, these martial laws, the anarchy laws, you know, uh, concepts of self-preservation and, uh, just a, it's just a higher level of thinking in the first place. Um, well, I don't know about the higher. I don't know. I don't, exactly, I, well, maybe yeah. I don't know about the higher level of thinking. I'm just saying. I'm just trying to clear up for my audience. Yes. That's probably way more skeptical of these things than we are. We let's just say we have more of a relationship to these things or knowledge of these things. This is also right. well, I'm, an not, I'm not saying, yeah, and I'm, I'm not saying I'm going to declare martial law or declare anarchy, right? But the idea is if you live in a free and open society and, and you have the First Amendment where people are, you know, free to practice their own religion, free to kind of say what they want to say, um, you know, that's, that's what you're trying to get as close to as you can without uh, bloodshed. And then that, that, that comes on the minds of the people and how we treat each other and our sense of community and society. Okay. Is this, is this something, because you're telling me before we started, like you showed me the art of war. Yeah. You had that book with you right now. Is this within the concept within the Sun Tzu concept? Is that what you're getting at? Um, not necessarily. Um, okay. Well, the, some of the stuff I was going to pull out, had a little more to do with economy but i think that art of war is a great that's a great uh it's a great strategy book it's a great great book to read uh very peaceful yeah i'm <laughs> just trying to clear that up and and i'll keep yeah. an open mind because i'm clearly not feeling what you're saying about martial law and that, i'm just trying to clear right. i'm just trying to clarify and, that because yeah um, no I, i'm just martial law to I'm me just, is almost like the is you're basically at the mercy of that authority. And, and you're right. It, they would, you're at the in mercy, the case, the military at the mercy wouldn't have the, the tools. Yeah. You're at the mercy of the authority that has 
because there is no authority you're at the mercy of authority but at the same time you have no obligation you can keep running from it i'm not just like i'm just trying to explain martial law a little bit deeper i got you deeper sense, so that you aren't as afraid of it you know because there are concepts of it that you kind of have to apply to to life and survival okay okay uh, you know. i'll have to i'll have to i have yes. to search more into that like i will and i try to i try to test myself and i tell my audience to do the same i encourage people to test your own views like you have to that's how you get to the point where you are now i wouldn't be at this point right now and i know probably for yourself you wouldn't be at the point you are right now in your thought processes if you didn't challenge previously held thoughts right. so that's kind of the whole point even if it's something that yeah. seems like very different than what you're confronted with normally. Right. Yeah. And, but like what you're saying and what, what you're afraid of is, is totally valid. Cause if, if the government were to declare martial law, it would be military rule and it would be, um, it would and could be very scary, but it's just, that's, that's more of a round the peace pipe debate, you know, cause it gets really cynical and deep and talk about some kind of gross concepts of humanity so but um what was i about to say i've read a lot you changed your site some is that not true because uh, it looked different from when i read it the last time i didn't change anything um we're going to go over I your know. site uh, yeah in fine. a second uh, just to um go over some of this you emphasize economy monetary policy yeah, we haven't talked about issues necessarily cultural issues in this forum. We do talk about cultural issues, but within the context of culture being in a progressive way, not some kind of a culture war lens. We don't see things here through a culture war lens. Things are pretty clear right. to me. Um, it's clear that it's a class war. That's the the war we should be fighting, and not a culture war, because the right. culture war is what distracts us from our basic necessities in the first place i would argue like we can have exactly. different cultures and everything but we also the need culture. to be on the same page and these cultural issues have been used to divide us um divide but and time, we can't ignore culture as well and i just want to get one particular because i think i've asked everyone their stance on immigration um do you have an immigration policy per se in the gavin bond administration like what's your view on that um well because of my my views kind of on a North American union, um, it would lead more to an open border between Mexico and Canada and the United States, but it would do so by raising all of our economies together, making us work together, right? Um, I think it's really, uh, I mean, we know, the whole wall thing is just stupid. We know it doesn't work because it didn't work in China. So, <laughs> I, um, and they'll just dig tunnels underground. I think the the thing to do is to find a way to legitimize the legitimize these businesses in Mexico and bring jobs to Mexico and raise raise Mexico's industrial and labor force standard up to that of the United States and Canada, so that we're all putting out just absolutely badass products. You know what we are manufacturing. Um, and it's all homemade and it's all handmade and 
you know, and that and that would lead to a society where you could have open borders and people wouldn't be sneaking across the borders to commit crimes and sell drugs. They'd be sneaking across for, or they wouldn't be sneaking across. They'd be going on vacation. Um, and to not kind of want to get towards a society that could live like that seems a little silly to me. And why would you not want open borders and to be friends with your neighbors? Uh, because if we don't, if we don't start to do things of that nature, you know, we've got we've got kind of some interesting things developing. Like Mexico and Brazil have expressed interest in creating their own economic stomach with with Russia and Saudi Arabia and China. And if we just ignore those kinds of things and don't try to work with all these other world powers and other world countries, um, our economy, the way it's built now, which I feel is mostly on war, is just going to crumble and fall apart. And we'll probably, we could possibly even lose the nation altogether. Well, there's a lot there to unpack what you just said. Um, you talk about this North American Union, which was interesting. I was reading over that last night. I don't even think we covered it the last time we talked. But you hit on BRICS. Um, Brazil is already a part of BRICS Plus is what I call it now. That's what it needs to be called because BRICS yeah. had the five countries, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa. We have six new members of BRICS um, coming January 1st, 2024, including Iran, United Arab Emirates, Argentina, a South American country, Ethiopia, Egypt, Saudi Arabia. So you have a lot of different um global south countries banding together basically against this um western hegemony that you might as well throw japan in that makes you japan united states western europe um but you also included south america when i read your site when you mm -hmm. talked about this you talked about mm -hmm. more so an american union um my question yeah. is how do we get to that point with this i guess cooperation with um, economies and trading and stuff with Mexico and all these different Latin American countries and the Caribbean, when the U.S. has such a history of sanctioning countries that they don't like. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, you have to, a lot of my policy in general and military policy, foreign policy, we got to stop, stop stopping countries from developing their own republics and their own nations. Like, that's just dumb. Um there's nothing wrong with nationalism. You can be a liberal nationalist. You can be like, I would like, if I was comparing myself to Vladimir Putin, I would call him like a conservative nationalist and I'd be like a liberal nationalist. Right. I don't know. But, um, so when you, when you go through like in the eighties, uh, the Reagan administration knocked a lot of stuff down in Latin America. Um, I don't have everything right off the top of my head, but I read about it in manufacturing consent by Noam Chomsky. A lot of people are familiar with that book. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, we if we let these countries develop on their own and then they, then they build their own middle class and then everything is better, their products are better. Um, and I think one way to get away from consumerism, which, which is really, I think the biggest problem with environment is to start building stuff in house making stuff more artisan, restoring things, um, not necessarily making it so you have to work 40 hours to survive. I mean, if you have time to prepare things and take care of things around your own home, you don't need as much money, um, you know, 
and there's there's just so much living that people aren't doing because of the the almighty dollar and how out of control it's gotten out of you know and uh and i think that building an economy off of war uh just doesn't work if we built an economy off of helping each other and you know there's just so much to be saved environmental wise money wise effort wise energy wise um and it's all common sense stuff you know mm -hmm. um and maybe it's a good point time to bring in this this art of war um in chapter two there's two there's two passages let's see number six there's no instance of a country having benefited from prolonged warfare right and so then it goes on and he talks about how when you defeat your enemies you should forage all their weapons and things like that you get on to number 13 and 14 um well it says okay you get 10 poverty of the state ex poverty of the state causes an army to be maintained by contributions from a distance contributing to maintain an army at a distance causes the people to be impoverished right because that's taxes so if we're fighting somewhere for something that we're not going to keep there's no reason to be over there because all we're doing is just spending money for no reason we're just maintaining war um and you go down here at 13 14 with this loss of stuff since substance and exhaustion of strength the homes of the people will be stripped bare and three-tenths of their income will be dissipated while government expenses for broken chariots worn out horses breastplates and helmets bows and arrows spears and shields protective manlets draft oxen and heavy wagons will amount to four-tenths of its total revenue well, that sounds exactly like where we're at right now with the United States. And this is a book that predates, I think, most of Western culture. Um, so seems like there's a pretty obvious solution uh, to all this. Yes, I, and <laughs> your overall, I got the, the sense that basically when I read your site, comparing it to a lot of the field, you you come across as someone, we know that you were in the Navy. Um, Brittany Jones, who is also running in your state as an independent, she was also a veteran. She is a veteran, just like you are, um, two Oregonians in the race um, that I've interviewed. But um, I get the sense that you have anti-war like sensibilities. Like That's a very strong emphasis on your site that yeah. um, it's, it's senseless, there's no point of it, it's economically damaging, it's psychologically damaging, it doesn't really, it doesn't benefit anybody, infrastructure, no, it, it messes everything up. Like I get all that stuff and it's clear. That's it, but it seems like, I guess what I'm trying to do is, how do we get from point A to point B? Because it's clear that the military industrial complex in this country isn't interested in what you're proposing. They're not interested in being diplomatic or peaceful, even not. Well, they, they're not interested in it, but they're not going to have a choice if they want to have an earth to live on. So, and 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 how so? Like, I guess, I guess, how? I mean, if they if they if they destroy the planet, they die too. I mean, that's the that's the folly of the war pig. Like you, you're you're fighting a losing battle. You, there's nothing. There's nothing you can do to to make that work. Okay, let's let's go back because I want to hear a little bit more about the North American Union is interesting because 
I get scared when I hear about North American Union because the first thing I think of is NAFTA, (laughs) the North American Free Trade Agreement. Right. So let's just be clear. So how does that work out when we compare that to NAFTA, for instance? Like how does the NAU, how is that beneficial to people versus the crap that, you know, Bill Clinton and everyone else was associated well, with. The, the thing with NAFTA's policy that allows you to run your business in a different country um, to avoid taxes, basically. Um, I mean, that's pretty frankly it. Uh, <laughs> you, th- these are these are business owners. So uh, a great example. Let's let's just talk about um, Tesla's or electric cars. <laughs> Anyway, uh, I'm a NASCAR fan. This would be fun. Um, you got, you got like the lithium and all the precious metals and everything that you mine for, right? And so there's like two reasons you don't do it in the United States. One, we don't want to destroy our federal lands. Like all, all of those types of minerals and stuff are out way out here in, you know, southeastern Oregon, north, northwestern Nevada, northeastern California. There's just a lot of nothing out there. Um, but that nothing is very valuable. Um, and it's been the subject of a lot of conspiracies. Um, and anyway, uh, you could mine for all those, you know, minerals to, to build electric cars or whatever there, but then you'd have to pay American workers who are usually unionized or want to be unionized. And then they have to have benefits of some kind. And they have to be paid enough money that they can support their families and things like that. Or you can go to a country where there's constant fighting, right? These, where these, these contractors, military contractors, are constantly performing coups so that every time a, a republic tries to rise up on their own dollar and establish their own society, um, for better or worse, um, it, it, it gets knocked down so that that way all these, all these workers and slaves um, that are, you know, mining for lithium and whatnot, uh, they're, they're in a society where there's, there's not unions, there's not healthcare. They just mine until they die. And uh, that's just stupid. Um, you start doing more things like North American unions and, you know, if, if you're European Union, if they uh, kind of woke up and like work with Russia <clears throat> anyway uh you know you could <laughs> you could make the world a lot better place yeah um and honestly I feel like at some point any if, if, if the discussion is just too centered it can just become exhaustive yeah. and I believe that um honestly Ukraine Russia that the European Union versus Russia that stuff yeah. first of all if you have the wrong position, quote unquote, the unofficial um, yeah. stance on that, you're censored or whatever else happens to you. I don't know. So we, we know how that works. I mean, if you don't yeah. share a popular opinion. I mean, yesterday I posted a small snippet of my first interview with Martin, and he was basically saying that Putin was a monster. If you listen right. to the whole interview, he didn't say that he agreed with Putin, but because he condemned the U.S.'s actions in the first place that led to this, which people can say what they want. Yes, Russia did invade Ukraine. No one's not saying that. Nope. But that was prov- provocation. <laughs> to say that there's not provocation is being ignorant. And so, right. but if you say that even not, 
You can't even say that. You can't say that the U.S. has any culpability. Yeah. Well, and here's the uh, uh, my perspective. Vladimir Putin's kind of in the catbird seat with this with this uh, this conflict because Ukraine's not a part of NATO, right? So if Ukraine joins NATO while this conflict is going on, which and I think this is this is out in the open. Um, that basically makes declaring war or attacking the United States soil uh, on the table uh, for for Putin. So that's that's a catbird seat. It's it's a leverage thing. Um, and if you if you watch Vladimir Putin speak versus our last two world leaders, uh, <laughs> he he's just he's just a lot more aware of a person. Um, I, th I think personally, because he's a martial artist, um, I could sit down and talk to him before I could sit down and talk to Donald Trump or Joe Biden, especially Donald Trump, because he's even said that working out stupid and I work out a lot. So I'm not I'm not I'm not with that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so um, and you listen to what he's saying and and uh, truth in movies, Rambo three. A lot of what's been going on since the Reagan administration and, and basically the Putin administration is basically little satellite wars between the United States and Russian contractors. And all they're doing is uh, testing their weapons and their tools for killing other people. Do we really need to be doing that all the time, all over the place? Um, so I think if you kind of read between the lines, what's going on with that secondary I mean, economy, I guess, is there maybe they're trying to get away from because if you, you study the US dollar, it really seems like our currency is backed completely by the by the war complex. Um, uh, US bonds, if you look back historically, and it just seems like they just took the word war out of US war bonds. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think that's a very good thing to back currency on. I don't think that producing war is gonna get us very far along <laughs> as a society or a race uh, and and it's also silly because then you look at these you look at the superpowers like russia and the united states and china and you think about things like going to space and it's like if we would have been like working alongside each other the whole time um how much further along could we be? How much, how much more knowledge about interdimensional and space travel could be in the public if, uh, you know, if we were working with these superpowers? Because I mean, you can, you can, uh, you can advocate for whatever, whatever countries you want. But if you look at it, it seems like the United States, China, and Russia are kind of the the stud horses. So why not uh, bring them together? instead of creating all this tension. So. I guess I guess we need to be asking our <laughs> leadership that. <laughs> yeah. You're posing up a lot of questions, but hey, don't I don't want them to live you a Putin puppet, Gavin. <laughs> uh. Because no, but that's it it, it shows you yeah. the, the sad state of um free thought that we're in in this country, critical thought. Um being critical of your country or your region is not a condemnation of the people that you live around or necessarily your country. 
it's a way to make your country better because we know that we can be doing a lot better. We can be working, cooperating with the world as opposed to bombing the world. Exactly. Sharing ideas with the world to um, be innovative in science, technology, whatever field we're talking about. That's what we mean with self-criticism. Self-criticism is a necessity. It's not something that you get to choose um, when you can easily point out deficiencies in other places. But yeah. um, we're just as guilty um, when it comes to the power grabs and, and holding on to this idea of empire, which is falling apart. I think it's yeah. pretty clear if people have been honest with themselves that the U.S. empire is, is in steep decline mode. And not only does the economy reflect that, but the relationships around the world are starting to show that as well. Our leverage when it comes to just preemptively starting wars isn't the same as it used to be. And I think that all plays into it. Yeah. And yep. <laughs> just going to agree right now for a second. <laughs> I was going to, but since we're talking about this topic, and I must say that this has already become a very interesting conversation because yeah. when I use it, do these interviews, I don't, I plan, I have my basic points and questions, but it's a free flowing conversation, but that's a way to get the best out of the interviewer, I think, and out of the candidate. And this has been no exception. I think this is going great. And um, there have been some curveballs thrown in, but I like it. You know, it's going to be fun yeah. to listen to. And hopefully everyone can share this with your friends and family. But I was going to ask you, you have a heavy emphasis, again, on military conduct and professionalism within the military mm -hmm. and the way we're supposed to be a military. You talked the last episode about having a different function, maybe, of the military, not these endless yeah. wars, perpetual wars, but building infrastructure. You talked about Eisenhower. Can you expand yeah. on that a little bit before I get into one of my questions? Yeah, so uh, the basic idea would be to use um like your your military force to rebuild the infrastructure and and training you know training to learn those jobs for people so that people can join the military get their military service still train in combatives um i'm i'd actually the, the standard will be going up if, if i if i win that's you you will be doing push-ups and sit-ups again this is i'm not doing the planks i'm not like this is ridiculous you need to be fit to be in the military um it's it's just the way it is because you have other people that are relying on you to um, be your teammate. Uh, <laughs> I'll get away from that rant for now. But um, so I would I would still be looking to build the military, but I would be taking people home and we would be working on the home front, fixing the home front. Or if we did deploy to another country, I do <clears throat> the whole concept of the Navy is a global force for good. Right. That's when I was recruited. Um, you can go in there. Um, and you can rebuild places after a hurricane. You know, we have the, the tools and the workers and, you know, what they call poke jobs. You know, there's so many jobs in the military that are not combative, um, that do teach us industry and do teach us um, a lot of life skills and how to deal with people from other backgrounds. And the United States military is absolutely the most exceptional in that. Um, and I plan on bringing that standard back to where it needs to be because it is... Uh, I mean, it's the greatest military in the world and uh, it needs to just stay that way. I mean, it's, and that, and that'll go through, I mean, that'll go through the whole government. You know, my, my parents worked for the government uh, department of interior. Uh, my sister works for the department of interior. 
I worked for the Department of Defense. Um, just a whole common sense. Uh, don't do things the stupid way anymore. Like, yeah, things are still going to be bureaucratic, and but but like create create jobs that are actually getting things done and getting people taken care of and teaching people skills so that they can go into the private world and make their own money or just stay with the government, make the military and government service uh, a career path so you can retire in 20 years um, and have basically what would be a universal income that you earned, right, through through working and training. And then you, you'll always have those skills to take with you. Um, like all the things that they recruit you into the military to do, actually do those things instead of, uh, you know, get people to kill themselves. <laughs> so. Before I ask a question about um, pertaining to war more or less, I wanted to, um, I've never asked this to any of the candidates because there's only one candidate that I know of and Brittany Jones that actually hasn't announced vice president, uh, vice presidential candidate with them. Um, as far as you're concerned, have you thought about a vice president? And if not, what kind of qualities are you looking for when you make that decision? Um, there, there's a few people close to me that I would consider. Um, but the biggest thing for that decision would be that that person understands that I'm going to take a commander in, in chief approach. I'm going to take a very mil militant approach to the entire job. Um, I want to go in and get it done and then get out and retire. I mean, I want to do, I want to do something that I haven't really seen anybody do. I want to be the president and then take that $200,000 a year. And, uh, you know, basically just be a human being and, and enjoy life, retire off of that. Um, you know, and if people want to ask me questions after that, I'll still answer them, but I'm, I'm kind of an introvert. So, <laughs> but specifically for a vice president, like what what exactly are you looking for yourself like as um in case something were to happen in you someone else has to take over the country in this capacity mil military service military service will be a big uh consideration um having an idea of where i'm coming from what documents i'm reading um and it, it could come from the known world. It could come from the unknown world. I'm going to have to trust the person as well. Um, but I think that's, that's going to be my, that's like my main emphasis is, is the commander in chief um, of the military. And they need to start acting like it, you know, um, and it is, there, there's a lot of professionalism that's, that's lacking from the, upper echelon of our government. So since we're on topic and I'll urge my audience, if you haven't been introduced to Mr. Gavin Bonney before, episode 37 is, is basically his first introduction to the world as far as like public interviews are concerned. So go back and watch the episode 37 to get caught up to where we are now at this point. You have the Geneva Conventions posted on your site you have yep. the Uniform Code of Military Justice posted on your site. Uh, can you explain to the audience what the Geneva Conventions are just um, briefly? Because this is going to lead to a question that I have about something that we talked about yesterday. Okay. Um, so 
the Geneva Convention is the military law that the United Nations kind of agreed upon um, after World War II. It says what is and isn't legal in war um, and what, you know, what, what you're allowed to do and what you're not allowed to do. The UCMJ, the United Code of Military Justice, that is the United States military law. Um, and I think it's important for all politicians really to know those because the, the oath you take when you when you go into office, either as a, as a governor, president, senate, um, or an enlisted soldier, sailor, airman, marine, uh, you take an oath to the Constitution and you are liable under these the UCMJ and the Geneva Convention. And a lot of people are under the misconception that politicians are strictly civilian, but civilians are covered in, in the Geneva Convention. So even if they were strictly civilians, which they're not because they're serving, you know, they're they're in government, they're voting on war. I'm sorry, you're 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 liable to these two documents as far as I'm concerned. Um, <laughs> and that and that's just it. You take that oath to the Constitution, which includes um, protecting against enemies foreign and domestic. So it's really important to know that if there are laws for war, you should probably know what they are or you could be punished because what ignorance is no excuse or something like that. <laughs> I appreciate that explanation. Um, I, I brought that up as, as far as the Geneva Conventions and the, the Uniform Code of Military Justice because in an ideal world, this would be like the, the template or almost mm -hmm. like the, the manual you go by when, if we ever got to a point of war, warfare. Right. Um, yesterday was the 17th anniversary of WikiLeaks, which was the publication, Julian Assange's publication. Yeah. That he started October the 4th, 2006. I had, I had a third Assange panel on yesterday um, so you're agreeing. So you, I'm assuming you know who Julian Assange is. Yeah, I do. Yeah. And I'm not throwing anyone under the bus, but you guys can judge your responses. There are some people that I've interviewed that don't even know who Julian Assange is. And they're running for public office, not just yeah. president, but they're running for various offices. And I'm just throwing it out there. I'm not making a judgment on people, but it's out in the open and people can understand um, so Julian Assange obviously means a lot to the forum. Should shout mean out a lot to Edward to Snowden too, if we're going to get on that. <laughs> What's that? Shout out to Edward Snowden too, if we're going to be on, yeah, <laughs> on that train. Is, yeah, there's lots of people. Um, <laughs> Edward Snowden was tried under the Espionage Act of 1917. Mm -hmm. um, Chelsea Manning, obviously, who was the person in the first place who... Um, gave the information, I think, to Julian. Um, but I want to ask this question regarding the reason why he's in imprisonment in the first place. A lot of people think he's in prison because of the collateral murder video, um, which showed that a, 2000, a 2007 Baghdad airstrike attack, 39 minutes of footage. You see the Apache helicopters shooting civilians, shooting journalists, shooting people just like for no apparent reason, they just said fired, yeah. and that was all caught on tape. 
And I thought about you when I saw the Geneva Conventions and you posted that stuff. So obviously that means a lot to you. What would you, what would your response have been if you were president at the time when that happened, but it became public knowledge in 2010. So this is under Obama. So if you were under the Obama administration, if this was a Gavin Bundy administration, how would you have reacted to this type of footage from our own military during this type of stuff? And what would you do about the Julian Assange case right now as president? Um, in the case of, of war crimes, I mean, it would have to be, it'd have to be a court martial, whether that would be a public court martial or not. Um, I mean, I wouldn't have a problem with it. Uh, but I mean, that, that would be a big deal in front of society. But yeah, I mean, that's, you're not supposed to do that. So that's a court martial. You're going to court. You're going to talk to the military judge. Have fun. Uh, and regarding Assange, what capacity would you have to um, pardoning Assange? Now, right now, he's held up in the UK courts. He's in prison. He's in prison in Belmarsh um, prison right now in the UK. So he hasn't been extradited yet to the United States. We're waiting on this news any day if he's going to be extradited here or, or if he's going to remain in Belmarsh or the Australian government is trying to get him liberate him so he can go back to his country because he's Australian citizen. But if if he were to be extradited here, would you pardon him if you had that power? Uh, most likely, yeah, because he didn't violate anything outside of my moral uh, scope. Um, he exercised what would be his First Amendment right. Um, Uh, he didn't do anything illegal. He didn't actually do anything. He just exposed things to the public um, that shouldn't be seen by the public. For, and so really the people that are going to be in trouble are the people that committed the crimes, not him, as far as I'm concerned. Um, of course, I'd have to sit down and talk to him. I'd have to sit down and talk to anybody, though. Um, like I said, I'm I'm privy to the... I'm privy to there's the line of thought that there are no secrets. Uh, I rifle through declassified documents uh, that, you know, I'll be disgusted, but I, there's nothing that surprises me. Um, the level of spirituality I've reached personally, um, I'll tell you right now, we're at a checkmate or a stalemate with any other world leader. Um, I view everyone as equal, man, woman, uh, opportunity, you know, perception. So he didn't do anything wrong. So he's probably going to get pardoned. <laughs> so that's interesting because you mentioned something there that's not talked about. The people who actually committed the crimes are still free, mm -hmm. but the person who mm -hmm. reported the crimes is under condemnation in prison and persecuted right. for years. Um, and it's a, he's, for us, there's no doubt that he's a political prisoner. Um, yeah. He's being used as an example from our viewpoint. And this touches on so many human rights abuses. That's the reason why people should know who Julian Assange is. Mm -hmm. um, because this is not just a press freedom thing. He is a journalist. He was a publisher. Right. And 
if you all read the evidence files um, that Paula Ayacella and Assange Defense Boston came up with this 101-page document, go to episode 67 under the episode description notes, and you have access to the evidence files if you click on it. Uh, Susan McLucas was nice enough to compile to compile everything into PDF form so the public has access to this information that shows Julian Assange's um, press credentials. It's very much at the beginning of it. So there's no evidence that he, so there's evidence that he was a journalist. So this is no different than a journalist being in the, um, in the field reporting on what they see. We had this going on all the time. I know when you were a kid, probably, I don't know, I'm older than you, a little bit older, not too much older. Yeah. But I remember when I was a kid, they used to always emphasize the embedded journalists. They were out there in the field in the Gulf War. Yeah. They, they would almost fantasize it. They would romanticize it. Just the journalists out there in the tanks with everyone. But this is different because he reported on something that's, you know, making us look culpable. But it's just, I don't know. It's a really um, confusing, it's a very scary reality uh, to see yeah. that someone can be um, basically they're losing their life because they reported on something that actually happened and well, he wasn't and even just, the person that originally had the content so yeah I mean and it's not even he's not even the only person uh, I mean people see this there are people my age that have literally just seen this firsthand like actual combat veterans um, it, I mean freedom of press that's the, that's your first amendment your first amendment right and i've always been one of those people when if someone tells me not to read something that's probably going to be the first thing i read right or at least i'm going to get the premise of that too i want to have the premise of both sides uh before making my own decision on how to how to approach a, a situation I have, um, I have a question about that um the first amendment yeah i'm going to read directly from your side if you don't mind Gavin Bonney shares um, a minute one, if you all don't know what the First Amendment is, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peacefully to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. And then you continue, the First Amendment of the United States is the most important piece of legislation in the entire world. Without the First Amendment, there's no industrial or technological revolution. There are no civil rights movements without the First Amendment. Without the First Amendment, the world could not achieve what it has. Any country could have established the First Amendment, but we did. Without the First Amendment, there's no United States. My job as president, I feel, is to protect the First Amendment from those who oppose it. Without the First Amendment, there's no second, third, fourth, fifth, et cetera amendment. In the spirit of the First Amendment, First Amendment right to protest. But so the first sentence, you don't see it as hyperbole whatsoever. You don't see that as hyperbolic, saying that this is the most important piece of legislation in the entire world? Uh, no, I don't, because it's the only, it's the only piece of legislation that allows, or that says every human is, you know, Free to be who they want to be. Um, every individual matters, essentially. Every individual thought. 
uh, the nowhere else is it written and that's that's kind of my point right we all know these things because we live in our bodies but there's nowhere else that it was written first uh, well i guess my it's not really rebuttal yeah. but my questioning would be what's the use of it if it's not being practiced what's the use of it being written down when it's not being followed the example that's been written down well, because if it wasn't written down, you wouldn't be able to argue with it. Um, I mean, people have used it in court to defend themselves and to to make their cases. Um, so, it, you know, because we live in a society, right, with with checks and balances, we have to have it written somewhere. And to me, as uh, someone who's not of a theological mindset, um, it's just very important to have that written down so no one can no one can walk up to you and and take you from you they don't have that legal right right so this this opens the mind this leaves the mind open and lets you know it's okay to be you Kiko's free thinkers forum is um has a maximalist approach when it comes to first amendment yeah. um having said that i'm curious as to you seem to share very strong leanings towards the First Amendment. How would you ensure that our free speech is protected under our Bonnie administration, considering that censorship laws are actually increasing and you've emphasized so much about getting rid of petty laws and all these unnecessary laws? How, what would you do to combat the potential of people being censored for having differences of opinion, for instance? Right. So censorship in, in the, I'll put it in Western terms, censorship to me is the work of the devil. It limits free thought. It, it, it stifles creativity. Uh, like even, even if you are using, you know, terms in a derogatory way that you're still, there's, the, there's a lot of creativity. There's a lot of thought process that goes away when you limit what words people can use. Um, and when you limit what ideas they can have. You know, um, when everybody, well, if you're going to believe in God, you have to believe in God this way, that, that, that stops creativity, that stops free thought, because now people have to subscribe to and have to kind of follow along, but that's not, that's not what we want. But I guess, I guess a, a deeper question I have regarding this would be um, the collusion of the tech co corporations um, where do you see that? Do you see YouTube as a private company, Google as a private company, even though they have contracts with the government? So at that point, there's a breach. There's not really a, a purely private enterprise anymore because you, right. you're you working directly with the government. So would you do anything about that? Would you consolidate these companies? Like, What would you do about this censoring of the information through the Internet, for instance, or certain platforms? Would you do anything about that? I would do what I can. It's, you know, a lot of algorithms too have to do with what, what catches your eye. Uh, my algorithms are different from other people's algorithms based on what I search for. Um, there is, yes, there is the private, private content thing. Like if they want to only put out a certain viewpoint, they can do that, but they're at the risk of losing the business of people who want to think freely. So it, in a way it kind of is self-resolving because yes, you do, 
if it is a private corporation and they don't want a certain idea out there, they, they can limit and censor that. But if they don't allow that to be out there, that's potential money lost. But if you get enough people looking away from it, are they really losing money? Blah, blah, blah. You know, there's obviously a lot more to it. Um, so, so you're saying there's nothing you can do about it if it's a private company. But I guess my question is, do you view them as purely private companies when you know that there's government collusion? Well, I guess what you could, yeah, what you could make an argument for is as long as you aren't make, because I think this is how Copyright Act and some of First Amendment law works, as long as you aren't like directly asking for profit off of it, they'd almost have to legally post it, right? If you post it for free and you want to post it for free, um, that I think, then I think you could actually make a case that they're not private. If they're going to provide the platform for you to post for free, you could maybe make an argument that they're not private. And then, and then you look at stuff, you know, the kind of information that they do shadow ban, that stuff is posted for free. And when you do find it, it's all free. Um, so I guess the fight would be for to get more exposure and for, for money not to, for money not to put lies in front of truth, essentially. Um, because with, with the free speech, obviously the downside is that you get, you could have people like flat earth society, for example, um, I don't want to throw them all under the bus. There's actually some good ideas in there that don't necessarily have to do with flat earth, but like, for example, like you can just create this whole flat earth society and that's your free speech, freedom, religion. You, you can just say whatever you want and, and flat earth society, they can all post whatever they want on YouTube as much as they want and they can accept donations um the people don't look for that and then it doesn't get put in the front of the algorithms i mean for obvious reasons but, <laughs> but yeah that's... exactly so yeah because <laughs> you got a question what is it actually threatening when you talk about yeah. because some people would view and this is this is the scary part we talked about ukraine russia if you have a different view of that conflict that has its own sense of ramifications yeah because at that point we they you talk about you hear about public opinion all the time well when the public's opinion changes and it goes against what the government is selling up to us there seems to always be issues with that well yeah and I, I, an example an example of that kind of stuff russia russia in general in the last probably 10 years it's less and less Russian media that you can get a hold of Russian or neutral, like pro-Russian or neutral Russian media. And then what you do get of pro-Russian media is like the worst of the worst it would be the equivalent to our fringe, like, you know, QAnon or whatever, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, just kind of just nonsense. You're, mm -hmm. And they, they only want you to see that because they don't want you to form a balanced opinion on it. I mean, one of the things I kind of chuckle about I'll bring up in internet debates on, on uh, kind of like my, my private stuff. Uh, like if you, like Russia, I mean, you can Google, you can actually Google, there's, there's, there's this beautiful little cartoony thing, puppet thing, Bill Cobb's battles on YouTube. Uh, he basically takes, takes the statistics of all the assets of whatever country 
and they simulate what would happen if these countries had a war and they take out they take out the factor of alliances yada 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 they actually did one on ukraine and russia and, and it cracked me up because they uh, bill Cobb, they the character has a russian accent it's hilarious uh yeah he's like he's like russia doesn't even have enough assets like they'd get through ukraine but they'd just be so dilapidated and out of equipment you know, to do a conventional war all the way across europe they'd be done or what you could do you could literally just if you attack russia on the other side of their front and this is this is like we're, we're at such a populated point in the world like we we know all these strategies so there's no reason to be doing them <laughs> but you know you just attack russia on the other side on their eastern front where it's cold as fuck but um you know and then you just spread them you know conventionally they'd be spread thin that's why their catbird seat is to to have that nuclear nuclear power they have the biggest nuclear bomb and if they if they somehow draw nato into it they you know they as far as war strategy they're they're in the catbird seat but um yeah i mean it's just it's, but it's just silly because they don't have much as far as conventional tools um and they'll just move on to the next conflict once you know if they move if they finish this one and so you kind of almost have to look at it like uh you know forest fire they'll like triage a neighborhood like it's going to burn through here we're just we're going to go over here we're just going to let it burn and we're going to lose a few extra houses or whatever here well you can look at war kind of like a forest fire in the sense especially these like 9-11 wars and the gulf war and vietnam these these very obviously industrial wars where we've sent our men and women um, out to battle with no intention of winning, no intention of keeping anything, no intention of doing anything but wasting and testing equipment. Um, <laughs> anyway, you get you cut that off and you cut it off right now. We we don't even we're not even getting the recruits. People don't want to go to Ukraine if if it were. Um, you've got more people committing suicide than dying in combat. That's actually like a 15 to 20 year old statistic that dates, that dates into the single digit two thousands. Um, so, so yeah, there's just, you just got to cut it off. That's all there is to it. And there's going to be carnage, but at the same time, uh, you know, if Russia's intentions really are to build another, like a secondary world economy or whatever, another dollar, um, what are they going to do if they win Ukraine? Build it back up? Maybe? I don't know. That seems like that would be the intention, right? Um, <laughs> uh, because as far as I'm concerned, if the United States is going to fight in a country like Ukraine, or let's get real controversial, say Israel, um, then... I should be implementing U.S. law in that territory as I win the battles so that I'm not spending money on an endless war. It's like if you want the U.S. to come in and fight a war on your territory for your territory, you will become a U.S. territory. Mm. That, that's sound war policy. I don't, I don't really care how you shake it. So, mm. Well, so I guess some people make the argument that that's what happens this americanization or yeah or maybe is maybe that's not the case at all maybe the local culture is simply stranded once um the occupiers leave i don't know um yeah but let's let's talk some about 
the economy and monetary policy. You have a television screen behind you. Actually, yeah. for you to get up and you can stay from that point where you are over there next to the television. And just, I want you to read to the audience five specific categories and tell them the actual number. What is the current U.S. national debt right now? So the U.S. national debt. Thirty-three trillion four hundred seventy-six billion three hundred seventy million nine hundred thousand. Oh, three hundred seventy-one billion. And That's if the, you compare it to the median income, what is that? Okay, so your median income now is thirty-six thousand forty-six dollars. Your median income in two thousand, which is listed right below it, was thirty-two thousand twenty-eight dollars. That's a difference of. Almost $4,000. $4,020, And so if you look right next to it, a new median home is 430,000. It's a little less, but 430,000. And in 2000, a median home was 167,000. I don't know how, if you're making $36,000, you're supposed to buy a $400,000 home. Um, And if you go next to the national debt, you have your debt per citizen and your debt per taxpayer. Your debt per taxpayer, is 200 if they were to just call if they were to call in their bet slips right now every american taxpayer would owe $258,022 who makes that i feel <laughs> who, you you say that's the debt for each person that that's the taxpayer the debt per citizen if you were to each every kid woman child whatever is 99,718 mm-hmm. So you got $100,000 for everyone and over $200,000 for the people that are actually paying taxes. And, and what is the actual U.S. federal spending as we speak? Right now we're at $6,122,254,000. Yeah, $6.1 trillion. And tell the audience where you're getting this information from. Uh, this is usdebtclock.org. Um, if you are an independent or a libertarian or even Green Party, you may have heard of this website uh, even 20, 20, 30 years ago. Um, this is this is the National Debt Clock. It's posted on Wall Street right out in the open, hidden in plain sight. Um, and it very clearly illustrates um, how our taxes are not covering our spending, which is bad. I mean, put it simply, frankly, and there's no reason to be, there's no reason to be running out of deficit and racking up debt, even if money is fake, which it is, but we should still use it. Um, <laughs> because the, just the, the mental, the mental drain and, and inflation and just, just the lack of the middle class in general. Um, mm-hmm. It's just dumb. There shouldn't be a deficit ever, especially if we're doing things like. Let's see. If you add, if you add the interest to the defense budget, you're actually. Let's see. You got seven hundred, eight hundred billion. You have the entire deficit if you add the interest and debt and and just defense. You can leave Social Security and Medicare out of there which is what our taxes should be paying for so um and they, those should be at a surplus but that's a whole other thing but yeah so i mean your whole deficit 
pretty much just get rid of right there. Okay, so you're getting to a question that I had. So to to start out your initial point of attacking this um deficit, this debt that we have, so you would you would decrease military spending is what you're saying. And you would redirect that to Social Security and Medicaid? Um, well, I wouldn't necessarily decrease the spending, but that would be the idea in the long run. The more, the bigger idea would be to reallocate it to, if we're going to spend it, bring it back to us or bring it back to where we're helping another country. Because um, we are also at budgets that are maybe a little over my mathematical uh, intelligence level. Um, but yeah, the, the idea would be to to cut it back or at least cut back on the part, uh, the killing part, right? Mm -hmm. um, and get get the back, get the budget balanced, get what what we're spending there, make sure it's taking care of the United States first. Um, you know, to just say I'm gonna I'm just gonna I'm just gonna cut the fence right out. Well, that doesn't even necessarily go with some of my other you know personal philosophies. Um, to just outright cut the fence but my whole idea in general with all of it is just reform um in in all of government uh because we we have the pieces in place we have you know we have the critical thought there's no reason we can't simplify and uh, consolidate consolidate our government to where it's functioning and helping the people and putting money in our pocket and putting our country back in the black and the green instead of in a deficit or in just actual, just absolute debt, like $33 trillion, that's, that's insane. That's so dumb. <laughs> you, you just said something there. You talked about, is it possible to reform the current state of the government that we're in? You, you seem to suggest that it's possible. I would argue that you would have to get rid of parts of the government um, I think that the government needs to be shrunk. Um, but you say that it's reformable. Like how so? How how is it possible for us to reform the government the way it is right now? Well, that's that's part of the reform, is what you're saying. Like shrinking it um, is is one part of the reform, right? Um, another part of the reform would be just like listening to people's suggestions. As, as stupid as that sounds, you're like, wait, that doesn't happen to the government? Well, anybody that's been in the military or worked for the government is laughing right now because they're like, no, it doesn't. <laughs> um, so, um, and that, that's all I mean by reform. And it's like, I'm not going to try and reinvent the wheel with money um, and backing. I'm just trying to get away from things that are toxic to the human race. Um, you know, because it's, it's an okay system. Um, you know, it's been manipulated a lot in, in a lot of people's favors, but I think you're also at the point, the people that are at the top of this, like there's so many zeros at the end of your wealth, like it doesn't even, like you, you, who cares? I don't really care. It's like, congratulations, you beat the game. You're a fucking trillionaire. Like, I don't care. I, most people that I've seen that are like trillionaires and billionaires, I could pick up and throw. So I, <laughs> who cares? Well, what do you do? You, you got all the money. Like, let's uh let's focus on like making life enjoyable for everybody else like I, who cares how rich you are i don't care <laughs> yeah but i guess i'm not trying to put words in your mouth but is yeah. that somewhat contradictory 
you said that the system is relatively okay. I, I guess you're referring to capitalism because that's what we live on. No, I'm, I'm referring to modern money mechanics, like just how, how money's, okay. money borrowed and lended and like the, the concept of it, like I'm not going to do much better than that, but it's the, the manipulators and, and then the consumerism, more so than capitalism, the consumerism, which just has people relying on the dollar so much. Um, and you I don't think, think that that's part of capitalism? Well, it, it is, but like that, I, I'm just trying to kind of pinpoint what I think is like the, the root of the problem. Um, and it, it's the consumerism, it's the, the over, um, just the, that's the part of capitalism that's toxic is the consumerism, that constant need for something new, need to, you know, nothing wrong with inventing something new, but constantly trying to get people to buy something new, to throw out the thing they already had, even if it works perfectly fine, and, and get a new one. That's, that's the problem with capitalism, um, mm-hmm. is the consumerism. And, and a lot of that does fall back on the, the people themselves. But, you know, if you, you know, if we, can, we could just teach ourselves better in the first place. So... Is this, um, and I'm not trying to be cynical, but I'm just trying to understand because I'm, I would like to think that I think on terms of monetary policy relatively sound. Um, I think there's a misconception that people who share, I guess, my worldview, because you get, it, we all get labeled for wrong exactly. reasons. Erroneous, erroneously, we get labeled. Um, if you have socialistic leanings or anarchic, anarchic, anarcho leanings, people will automatically assume that you don't know about the economy, that you don't care about the economy. Um, that's not true whatsoever. The, the biggest difference, I think, between people who tend to be more left libertarian or anarchist and, and left versus people who are the right side of the spectrum that's anarcho, or they have tendencies that kind of go away from mainstream conservatism, mainstream liberalism, I think we argue over what parts of government do we emphasize, what parts do we take out. I don't think any of us want to add more to government. Like, yeah. government's already huge. Like, we need to find a way yeah. to make it more efficient. Move, move everything around, yeah. But I may emphasize healthcare more, student mm-hmm. debt more, and a libertarian might emphasize something else more. But regardless, right. it's like I don't think that's worth arguing over right now. But this is important because you made an argument in the document. You you have a document linked to your monetary policy on your Gavin Bonnie site, mm-hmm. which is accessible through his Twitter handle. And I'm going to link his Twitter handle, Mr. Gavin Bonnie's Twitter handle, and his um, Google Doc which is where you can find all of his policy information at the end of the episode description of this episode 68. If you go, I believe it's on the New Deal, if one of your tabs where you talk about monetary policy, I read the document and you yeah. said, you brought up trillionaires and billionaires, but isn't that a problem? You blame the consumer, but yet you admit in the same document that you have posted on your site that there's a problem with money just being static. So you have, yeah. you only have so much money supply that's available. Even if we take out the printing money part of it, if you have a small elite group of people hoarding all the money, 
how is that not going to create a set of problems? Don't you want the money flowing? Yeah, no, you do. Um, I think you might be. Let's see. Let me scroll here for a second. I'm trying to understand the question a little better. Yeah, well, um, I guess what I'm getting at is um, the, the consumerism line to me doesn't make much sense because if you base it on the statistic that you're reading to me, the $36,000 median income, that's talking about basically any household, like that's all the money on average. So what money does the consumer even have? Is it actual real money at that point? Or or is this right. credit? Not a lot. Like, do they even have the money? Like, can we even blame the consumer? Do they even have money to spend? Right. It, and that's, I mean, and that's all kind of covered in the, where, where the unfunded debt and interest. So that's all your student loans and your credit card debts and things like that. That's all the math on that. Um, what I, what my thing about consumerism is actually just totally basically environmental. Um, like to get back to it, it's, literally the consumerism that is the problem not necessarily the spending money the exchanging of money but the um you know instead of keeping a car for 25 years buying a new car every five years that creates inflation that creates debt that creates it creates waste you know because people aren't taking care of their stuff um that's more what I mean by that when I say consumerism is like the pinpointed problem with capitalism. Um, obviously, you need people spending money to keep your economy going in a fractional reserve system. But um, mm -hmm. yeah. So explain that. Yeah. I was going to get to that question because the main premise talks about the fractional reserve system that we have. So what do you mean when you say fractional reserve system to the audience? Um, so a fractional reserve banking system, oh, this is gonna be hard for me to explain why I posted the link. <laughs> it's uh, you borrow money from a private bank at an agreed debt that you're gonna pay back, right? So that money, that money is essentially backed by the debt and then you have to pay the debt back for the rest of the money to exist. That's that's essentially a, a fractional reserve banking system. And how that works out in a lot of this tax stuff is um, you the interest on the money that we borrow. So so the fiscal year they borrow all this money to put into the system or to send for aid or whatever, right? That's borrowed at interest. Um, the rate of taxes that we're paying right now doesn't cover the interest. That's why we have a deficit where the national debt is going up. That's how, and that's how fractional reserve banking works in a nutshell. Um, there are people that are a lot better at this than me, but. Um, no, um, so. and, and you talk about um, the types of, reserves we have um yeah. you have we have what you call fake money which is paper currency fiat yeah and then we have money that's deposited in banks yeah and then you have um what's the other part there's of the just 
there's just digital money actually and even. digital money basically it, it only it only exists digitally um and that's that's where a lot of inflation comes from and if you if you open up the book modern money mechanics where it actually just explains all of this in exact detail um you know when you take out 10 million dollar loan there's another loan on that 10 million dollars and then another loan and then another loan and it compounds down it's all just if if you're a number person it makes sense if if you're a little more right-brained like me you're just like holy shit why <laughs> there's just it's just numbers and numbers and numbers for no reason um so a lot of i guess with monetary policy in in regards to uh fractional reserve banking is just you need to simplify it so that inflation's not out of control and so that people understand what's going on with their money and so they're not so if they understand how how their money works they won't be as stressed out by it because they'll know how to make it i have um a question about monetary policy mike timot is running for president mike timot is running as a libertarian mike timot is an economist yeah uh, got a, he has a phd from the george washington university and i asked him would you go back to the gold standard? Would you go back that far to the gold standard that was ended in 1971 under Nixon? Where is your stance on that? Um, and I'll tell you exactly what he said. Uh, I've I've tended to lean towards the gold standard being a better system um, historically. Uh, you look at the history of banking and and central central banking and versus government banking. Um, it it was a better system for the people um, but you also kind of you get to a point of wealth and technology that there's there's more information and material than there is gold to represent it mm. <laughs> and that's exactly what he said it was that it would create a deflationary climate yeah so really i mean my one of my things with money is you, you almost just have to suspend your disbelief in money first you have to know that money's fake but then once you know that money's fake uh you just suspend your disbelief and kind of view it almost as just a moral a moral peacekeeper in a way uh, there's probably a better way to put that, but it it it, keep, it does keep the peace. It keeps uh, a sense of order. You know, people get their their dollars. And they can. You don't have to barter if you're someone who only makes pies. Well, someone doesn't need a million pies for maybe their shoesmith job. Well, money eliminates that uh, awkwardness of bar bartering, where it's like, okay, I don't need that thing though, right? So. Well, in that sense, you're arguing that money is universal. You're arguing that money does have a function, so yeah. it's got. So it must be real if it has a function. Right. But it's but it's fake. Like it's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you yeah, mean. Like when you, when you, I mean, now you have direct deposit, which the document you sent me. I mean, basically, it argues that a lot of people have direct deposit before they go into yeah. the next week. They don't even have the money, the digital money in their account anymore yeah like they're in the red or whatever yeah and just so funny if you took 
it's kind of an abstract concept, but if you just took money completely out of the equation, uh, could you still live your life like and survive? And you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> do you yeah. actually need it? <laughs> so, um, yeah, but but I guess but the reality is that the people, if you're selling this message to people, if you're telling people this, and with, let's just imagine millions of people are following this. And yeah. you say that, I don't think people are going to fall with that message. They're not, they're not going to yeah. like that message because the reality is that we all have to pay bills and stuff. I mean, we we have to create right. whatever this fakeness is, these falsities. We have to still create. Well, Ryan, that's what I'm saying. You just, you just suspend your disbelief and we still keep a monetary system in place so that we can pay our bills and function with each other in society. That That's what I mean by suspend the disbelief. Um. Now, you were saying something earlier when you talked about you went over the statistics um, on the debt clock, and we appreciate you sharing that with us because I yeah. think that will be new for a lot of people in the audience. Did you say, if I heard you right, that we're not paying enough taxes on the debt? Is that what you said? Yeah, that's why it keeps going up. Our Our tax rate, you know, doesn't keep up with the interest rate. And that's why the debt keeps going up. So do we need to do we need to be paying more taxes as citizens? Is that what you're saying? No, no. That's what that's what a lot of people would say, though. Right. And then what happens is they take more taxes from you. But but then they're just going to spend more and they'll borrow more and they'll just keep that that deficit up and keep you going into debt. That's that's kind of been the policy since uh, George Bush. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess, so let's go back to what you would do to, um, I guess, alleviate this tension that people are feeling. Um, we talked about a universal basic income the last um, episode. I thought that was one of the yeah. more interesting exchanges we had because it seems like some of the stuff on your site almost goes against what you were originally saying. Um you you seem to say that there's not a necessity for you, but ultimately you concluded that because you thought that the people would become lazy as a result of getting a UBI. That's what you said. Um, do you want to elaborate yeah. on that or? Right. Well, and it's it, it is it's more of just like a the concept. Um, if you're just handed something without earning it, uh, you don't have much motivation, or you're less likely to have motivation. Um, so my my whole thing with the universal income would be like kind of like I was alluding to with the military services, um, maybe earning, like having having set set levels, right? You do your government service, you're set, you have an income now. You're you know you're this type of employee, blah blah blah. You, uh, maybe even you have set incomes. Like if if you go do an odd job because your education in government or whatever you know, however it's structured is at this level, you must be paid no less than this per hour or per day, et cetera, et cetera. And then on top of that, like I said, if you know, you get, you know, you'll get assessed, um, you know, physically, physically, mentally, you could, and you can say, okay, just similar to like a VA percentage, uh, like, okay, you need a little bit of extra income 
based off of this inability that you have here. Um, and basically to like you want to negate the just the straightforward concept of even even if it is at the end of the day just the same thing just giving people money you kind of want to avoid just that straight you're going to get this money um you're just going to get this money it's just not it's not a good way to think necessarily um and like i said even if at the end of the day it's really just a universal basic income disguised as like a disability check i think that's better maybe than just calling it a universal basic income. I, I guess I would challenge you only because on your own site, you made the example, even if you gave every person a million dollars, the government would still have a ton of money to basically waste it on whatever they wanted to. Yeah. Um, so if, if they could afford, if the government, and I don't know how I'm supposed to be addressing government. And I yeah. think that's the, the million dollar question. Like, what is the government exactly? But regardless, yeah. <laughs> this body that we know as the government that's supposed to be for the people, by the people, um, if the government can give a million dollars to each person anyway, and you seem to suggest that we wouldn't be really any worse off than we are now under that scenario, depending on how the money is being allocated, then what would be the issue with the universal basic income to make sure people are able to at least make, meet their basic necessities. Um, we actually have a candidate, Jasmine Sherman, that's yeah. running. They believe they would actually get rid of Social Security and they would, be, universal basic income would basically serve as, that would have been the function of Social Security and just getting rid of that whole yeah, idea. Yeah, I, I get that concept. I've had similar concepts like run through my mind with Social Security and, and unemployment. Um, uh, I just, again, it's, it's, it, there's, it comes down to just motivation and still, still being human. Um, just, just to give it that label, right. That you, you know, that you get this check because of, you know, uh, and there still needs to be, there needs to be incentive. There needs to be incentive to earn more, to keep people working too. Mm -hmm. Excuse me, I had to burp there. Um, because it is true if you did you know, i think i think the studies from indiana uh, they're talking about nero people start to come in from the rural areas and they stop doing their work and they stop producing things because they can get this income so the more the more open I guess it, it's just more is just given away as opposed to somehow, even if it's just a mental, you know, kind of like with money, you know, it's just, it's just a mental thing that people see it that way, perceive it that way. Uh, to have it an earned basic income versus just like, you're going to turn 18 and we're just going to fucking hand you all this money. Um, I, I think that's just better for society. But, but, you, but, but I'm that, not, pre that presupposes that people but you're presupposing that if people have a universal basic income, that number one, they're not going to use it for their basic necessities. And in my case, I'm a stay at home dad. I mean, I could get work right now if I want to. I guess technically this will be viewed as my work. But some people aren't able to work for different reasons, maybe disability, whatever. Um, but 
I guess the point is, if you had a universal basic income, it wouldn't just apply to the person that's disabled, quote unquote, everyone would right. get the benefit of a universal basic income regardless of circumstance. But I guess that's presupposing that too, that the people, as you suggest, would be lazy and they wouldn't have innovative spirit if they had a universal basic income. I don't believe that. I don't even know if the majority of people would actually be like that. I don't think it would make people any lazier than they are now if you think that people are lazy under the current scenario without a universal basic income. I, I'm not convinced that if people had extra money in their pocket that they would be more lazy if you if you assume that right now people are lazy. Right. Out of it, UBI. But as if, if your money is nothing, it wasn't earned somehow, it just starts to stack up. So like Go back to the the idea of of military service becoming like jobs. So, what if you had like a required government service out of high school, you know, for two years, something similar to like Israel or Russia, right? You have that. You do your service. You know, you learn road construction or whatever. But then also in that time, based on your attributes and what you've learned, you get your universal basic income based off of that. And then there's just different levels of it. So that's an incentive-based like scale of universal basic income is what you're saying. Right. Because then that also, because there's going to be people that will still work too. Like I said, you'd have people to go out and if you want to earn more than what you need, you can keep, you know, you keep working. I think, I think that needs to be available to people that want to keep working. They need to be able to earn more. Um, so, but yeah, but so there, like like I said, there's just ways just ways to approach your universal basic income to just get people in the right mindset so that when they do get it, they are investing in their life and investing in the earth rather than just waiting to turn into an adult and then just basically live off of what would be a welfare universal basic income. Like even if you did if you felt you earned enough in your two years of government service that your little your little check that you got was enough and you could work with it, that's fine. And I don't think that there's any reason we should make the cost of living too expensive for something like that. But I think that's another kind of thing with me and checks and balances is if we can bring the cost of limit, living down too, right? It's not just about changing the dollar, but just like how much things cost. You know, if people can make more, but then things also cost less, it makes everything stronger. Yeah, but that sounds, um, I don't want to say it sounds utopian. Like, to me, that's the way, in other yeah. words, we both can remember a time, I'm 41 years old, I remember a time when your money went a lot further. Yeah, You could buy things and you could go on a vacation. You could actually go on family vacations. There... When my parents, without college degrees in mm -hmm. the 80s, we were still very poor. It was seven of us living together in a rural area. But in the early 90s, my parents moved to the city and they only paid $35,000 for a house, a family of five. And we were able to go on family vacations and we were able to get basic necessities and everything else. We had, we you could actually have a savings account back then. And yeah. it doesn't sound like any of that going on now. Yeah, and and that's a concept. Uh, is explained. There's this there's this movie. Oh gosh, it's probably about 
probably about 11, 12 years old, maybe a little older. Um, it's called Death of the American Dream. It's a cartoon. It's free. It's on YouTube. You can find it. Um, they explain that they explain in this because uh, they're explaining like credit card debt and the it's it's one of I think it's one of the staple videos if you're if you're into this kind of stuff back here. Uh, it's one of the staple videos that goes over concepts you'll hear in other places too. But um, they talk about the value of gasoline in 1950 or the value of a shoe. That itself is worth the exact same as it was in 1950. All that extra money on top of it is inflation. Um, and you really should check out this video. I mean, they're, they're, it's been out for years. Uh, some of the characters are a little outdated because of that. Um, but uh, yeah, that's, that's a really good basic one. Um, they explain the whole creature at Jekyll Island. They explain fractional reserve banking. They explain coin clipping all the way back in world history and how it works and, and uh, how it's destroying the United States. Okay, I want to segue into the final part of this discussion, which is um, criminal justice. Uh, that's been a stance that I pretty much, um, it's a topic that I've addressed to all um, the people in the field uh, that have come onto the forum. I believe we're gonna have one more person that's running outside of the Democrats and the Republicans. And full disclosure, there's a possibility that there's one person that was running under one of the two ma major parties could be coming onto the forum. I'm in talks with their team right now. I'm not going to yeah. tell who that person is until it actually happens, but we're pretty much confident in saying that Cornell West will be on the show um, in addition to someone else down the road, but we'll just keep it at that right now. Okay. And the criminal justice discussion, um, I don't see anything on your site as far as stances about the drug war, stances about the criminal justice system, the way it's currently established and um, function and executed right now. But what is your stance? Like, what is the Gavin Bondi stance on criminal justice reform? What will we? What could we expect in the Gavin Bondi administration? You can expect a lot of people with marijuana misdemeanors to walk on home. Uh, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> Um, as far as like the war on drugs and criminal justice, uh, there's, there's an industrial complex there just the same as, um, as the military. I'm not a big fan of it, but they do violate a lot of human, human rights. Um, there's just a lot of people, especially in like the state of Louisiana, hate to throw them under the bus, but there's actually more people in federal prison, I think in Louisiana than in like middle school and elementary school. Um, that's, that's an industry and like they have that Louisiana is a state where you can, they have like one of those three strike laws where you can do something as simple as shoplifting, like a bag of peanut M&Ms. And if it's the third time and you're caught, that's 25 years. That's stupid. Um, like there, there's a saying on a meme that goes around. I, I actually kind of like it. If you see someone stealing food, no, you didn't. Mm. Um, and so I'm not. There's not a lot of emphasis as far as campaigning on criminal. I mean, if I have to, I will. Um, I'd be taking a pretty criminal or a pretty, pretty similar approach to how I uh, look at everything. Um, you know, and me being someone 
that's kind of pro open borders in the long run once everything's established. Um, you know, that's that's a lot of the prison population as far as I'm concerned right there. You know, people are detained for illegally crossing borders and, and things like that. Um, but I think the big thing for me would be finding a way to de-incentivize the prison industrial complex because in the United States, you're supposed to be innocent until proven guilty. So there shouldn't be a desire or even a push to fill prisons, right? The prison, like the prison system needs to be there. There's gonna be people, you know, there's gonna be people that snap, there's gonna be people that break and do immoral things, but to industrialize it and try to keep people in it. Like I've, I, you know, being the part of Oregon I'm from actually, I've dealt with a lot of uh, people who are on parole for dumb things for their entire life. Um, you know, it all starts with a, a minor in possession of marijuana or even alcohol. But then for 20, 30 years, they're actually best friends with the county sheriff because they have to take a pee test every month because something happened, you know, right at the end of whatever, whatever session or breakthrough they're at, you did another little stupid thing, like got a speeding ticket or maybe that's a bad example, but just the little, little things while you're still under parole, then you get in trouble and then they compound it. And that's, it's not helping people. Um, so I guess my, my thing would be just to take a human approach at it like anything else. I mean, obviously I'm not going to start letting like murderers out. Uh, that doesn't go with my kind of moral, moral standing and upbringing. But, uh, but yeah, as far as like the war on drugs, uh, you know, if you're pushing stuff across board, you're, there's going to be case to case stuff as far as like trafficking. Um, Cause then you're talking about bigger federal offenses that were a different situation at the time and everything. Right. Cause those are people that were making money off the grid, off the taxes, you know, maybe even killing people, et cetera, et cetera. But at the, at the lower levels, there's just going to be a lot of people walking home. You know, if you're in jail for possession of marijuana, like that's stupid. Yeah. But that's what I'm trying to get at is um, yeah. wouldn't that de-incentivize cartels and the drug trafficking, as you say, I mean, you said yeah. you're for open borders. So at that point, yeah, so borders, okay, and here's kind of is a little abstract. What if you, because most of these drugs are made of other drugs, right? You get pharmaceutical companies. What if you just legitimize the cartels? Because then there's a whole bunch of, there's a whole bunch of structure actually that's already there. You know, gangs have structure the same as the military. <laughs> I was very abstract, but like if you, you could you could legitimize some of these cartels, not all of them, obviously for whatever reasons, various reasons. But like you legitimize what these people are doing because they are moving medicine, right? So yeah, what ketamine? What ketamine's just liquid cocaine, right, or whatever. So like you you, so if you need ketamine, you need to get cocaine, which grows in South America. Um. I you guess know, there, there's a lot of far, there's a lot of pharmaceuticals companies that could actually benefit. And it's just silly. They, they could actually benefit more from the open borders than from creating a drug on war. But. You know, yes. Um, but as far as the drugs are concerned, see, I have so many thoughts just based on that yeah. response. But what I was going to get at, the question I had was, what is the current state of drug policy in Oregon right now? Because. 
are drugs decriminalized? Like, what is the case? Like, drugs, so drugs are, understand. Drugs, drugs are decriminalized. Um, you can still get arrested for for tra trafficking, selling. Um, I think there's there's limits on amounts you can possess. There's like like with mushrooms, there's like an automatic amount. If you have it, you're gonna get hit with uh, attempt to distribute. I'm not totally sure, but as far as being high, you are completely allowed to be high on whatever drug. Um, and uh, but there are still like little possession misdemeanors. So there's decriminalized. You're not gonna go to jail for having like an eight ball on you, um, but you might get a ticket. Um, but you can, and you can just be as high as you want on whatever. Uh. Yeah, but that's, so, so it, they're not legal. They're still not legal. So there's still ramifications. No, just decriminalized. Whatever decriminalized means to you might not mean the same to the government. Um, it's kind, of, it's, kind of, it's kind of loose terminology because um, mm -hmm. I think basically they get they get tired of you know detaining people or putting people in a hospital just because they're high, or they can just go. They could have just gone to the hospital instead of like arrested them. So I'm not really sure. I almost I because. Like who was it? Ron Ron Paul wanted to legalize all the drugs because he thinks it would deter people from doing them, but I don't know that I'm seeing that in Oregon, um, just from this initial decriminalization. I'm not really sure. I know they're trying to bring out medicinal uh, mushrooms, which is a great thing, I think, but as far as the decriminalization. Not really sure that much has changed because you still get tickets and a lot of a lot of this stuff already was pretty well decriminalized and i knew i knew when i was like a teenager and in my 20s i knew i was allowed to be high on whatever as long as i didn't have it in my possession in the state of oregon so you said that you would decriminalize marijuana would you would you legalize marijuana um under your administration and would you deschedule it completely and, and not consider it a drug? Because right now it's considered um, yeah. in the same category as heroin right now. Yeah, which is stupid. Schedule one narcotic. Um, no, it's it's a medicine. Um, I would definitely make it so we're not like throwing people in jail over it anymore. Um, I have some kind of from from growing medical marijuana when I was younger, I kind of have actually some conservative views on on how to use it and to sell it. I'm not necessarily a big fan of how some places have implemented recreational marijuana. Those are all personal opinions. Um, the overall message to take away is like, yeah, I'll, I'll, marijuana will be legal. Will be legal, not decriminalized. We'll, we'll be, legal. We'll, we yeah, it'll be legal. Like you can grow it smoke it the thing is, is it's so easy to grow uh like you're there's almost no need for dispensaries <laughs> so, so 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 yeah so i would have it would be i would have to work with a team of people on how we implemented the policies because me personally i would just be like yeah it's legal grow it go ahead i don't give a shit like i'm not going to try to tax it personally i wouldn't try to tax it i um, 
I, I view it as, as, you know, like God's medicine, um, more or less. So I will need people to kind of check and balance me on that one. But like I said, the overall message, like, yeah, that's going to be legal. hundred percent. It's. And as far as the ramifications that that decision would have on other areas that is innately a criminal justice issue mm -hmm. because we have so many people caught up in the system because of marijuana. I know too many people, yeah. my own family included, right. caught up in the system. A lot of these people, I'm not saying that white people aren't affected, but uh, the people that I grew up that were affected by this were black people and 40% well, of the carceral population is black. So there is a dynamic yeah. going on there. In, in, the, in the initial prohibition of marijuana, uh, two, two, two of the main reasons for it, uh, protect the DuPonts and the Morgans, you know, because marijuana hemp makes great rope. And then, and then the other thing was because for some reason we didn't like jazz musicians, Me Mexicans and black people, we wanted to arrest them. So, and they found that a lot of Mexicans and black people like to smoke marijuana. So they made it illegal. And that's, that's, that's the bulk of it. <laughs> People didn't want to lose their industry and bigots. Kind of sad. And, and and so what would change under your administration? Because you already alluded to the prison complex, but then we get into the whole idea of um because my experience is the police going around the neighborhood and basically seeing if people are selling drugs or whatever. Mm -hmm. To me, that's a serious problem because yeah. The same people who talk about like freedom, you would think that, and I'm not talking about you, I'm just saying that I'm speaking a lot to my conservative audience um, that's watching this, or, or even libertarian audience. If we're talking about freedom and you want people to, to be free to go where they want to go, if we're legalizing drugs at this point, especially marijuana, then what do we need to do as far as like, how, how do we attack that? a part of the, the issue, the police state part of this, because the war on drugs is not just um, the drugs themselves, but people are also attached to these yeah. uh, problems. This, this is another abstract idea. Um, my kind of thing with police, I'm actually not a big fan of police. I'm one of those military guys. Um, but <laughs> I always thought it would be really cool if you were having a bad day. Um, you know, if you could call a cop and and just go for a ride in the cruiser right um so what what if we trained our police in a way to where they actually did try to solve your problems or calm you down or or could do something where like if you're you're in a domestic situation or a, or a suicidal situation or something like that uh, instead of the cop looking for what drugs you're doing to throw you in jail what if they did like oh let's you know I mean, shit, Dodge Chargers are pretty fast. You know, oh, you want to you go for a ride? Let's go for a ride. You get <laughs> like a dog. <laughs> you know, call the cop, call the police, be like, hey, you know, like, I, I could really just use somebody to talk to or like everything's everything's off. And you get in a Dodge Charger, you go, go for a ride out in the country. Um, if we could make, if we could policy our police to where you could do that and still have them, you know, able to protect and arrest people when they needed to. I think that that would be 
a really good thing. And I think that's what a lot of people kind of like are trying to get, get out with the, the, the fund to police protests and things like that. Um, I don't think any of that stuff worked out the way they wanted it to, but um, that is kind of something I've thought of as far as police is to me, I, I, I need police to be smarter and I need them to be human. Um, I don't need them to just follow orders like it is now. Um, so there, there would be some changes there and uh, maybe even bring, you know, police officering or being a police officer up to a federal level, even if you are a county sheriff or a state or, or a city, if you brought in some kind of national policing policy that could, you know, kind of like the military, um, that, that kept all of them in check. Like you, 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 you know, you're, you're local to this area and this jurisdiction, but you're all under this federal mandate or this federal set of rules, this standard of how to conduct yourself with other people and, you know, when it's okay to do certain things, et cetera, et cetera. Um, because an another issue I have with police in general is the rumors that if you have a certain ASVAB score, which is the military aptitude, if you're over like a 75, there's rumors that there's a lot of um, stations, police organizations that won't take you because you're too smart. You won't, uh, you won't follow orders. You won't enforce laws the way they want you to enforce them. Um, and that's just, that goes back to professionalism. I think like you were saying, uh, my, my overall vision for the government in general is to be a little more professional and militant and on point and polished because uh, there's no reason for it not to be. And that's the only way we're going to make it a, make the world a better place. Oh, I wasn't saying anything about professionalism. I yeah. don't, I was saying well, more so the way you presented yeah. it on your side yeah. was um, the way the military is supposed to conduct itself. Like that's, yeah. And I have my own views about military. I, I don't agree with wars, um, particularly. That's all I say about it. I, I don't yeah. really have much to come as far as the military itself. The police state, I have a serious problem with. To me, the police state is tied to the, to the military. And so I see police as an extension of the military. Um, that's the way I see it. Yeah. Um, I want to yeah. believe that fellow police officers have my best interest, but the reality is that a lot of us don't trust the police. I still don't trust the police. And a lot of citizens, when they're in downstream situations, don't see the police as a person to call necessarily. Right. So and, and that's I, a, I think that's, we have to change those attitudes, problem. but we, we're not at that point yet. I no, think you're speaking from a point if we're already at that point where yeah. people can trust the police, but I don't think we're there. Yeah. Oh, right no, now. we're not We're not even close. And, and a lot of it does, it has it with, with their hiring. Um, People know, like, kind of around the the military, like, say, you go back to the concept of martial law, martial law is declared. The politicians actually don't have necessarily the military to protect them the same way they do have the police to protect them, because our military policies, and that not saying that everyone's going to follow this, this is, this is like, in, you know, goodwill towards hoping for goodwill, but the, the military is not supposed to attack the citizens. Like that's, that is against, that's against the UCMJ. That's against, we are not supposed to do that. So if martial law was to, to be declared in a way that the government was trying to do, 
some kind of hostile takeover or something, um, it would be the police. It wouldn't be the military. I'm not saying that they couldn't manipulate military personnel into doing it, but in black and white, the way it's written now, it would be the police. And that's a scary thought. And I think that's the first time that this has even been brought up on the forum. But that's the that's the reason why we need to really because that's the first line of defense. That's who we see first. We don't see um the tanks. We don't see the soldiers right. in the gear. We see the police. And and that's a scary thought because um we already know the scenarios that can be drawn up to where the police would be taken out executing, you know, those orders, you know, even before yeah. the military comes in. But it, it creates a it creates a lot of insecurities um in people, I think. And um there's a lot more I want to ask, but maybe we can save those questions for the presidential forum because honestly, you being the last candidate that has the second interview, we've interviewed everyone already one time. You you've been interviewed a second time today there's going to be a lot more that can be built from this conversation. And we're going to have a lot of different questions for um, everyone that's running for public office at the highest level in this country in December. We will announce that date in a couple of weeks on one of the episodes. But I want to say that a lot of these questions will be a variety of questions. They're not going to be just um, national defense. They're not just going to be policing yeah. money. There's going to be a variety of questions, um, but just to give people a clear picture, there's not going to be a lot of culture war questions, honestly. Um, that's not to say that we won't have a couple of questions, and I don't, I don't want that to be interpreted as something where, Kiko, you just don't want to avoid, you want to avoid certain topics. No, it's not that at all. I just want to have productive conversations. I'm, I'm tired exactly. of this um, condemning the other. Like, I'm just yeah, not doing not that stuff anymore. Yeah. And I see that happening too many times. And to me, it's honestly kind of boring. I mean, yeah. if you if you get the conversations that we've played already throughout this forum's history, which is a little bit over a year of its establishment, it's clear where I stand on a lot of positions. And it's clear where people that I interview stand on these positions. We don't have to point at each other and be like, oh, that person's less transphobic or less racist or more racist. We agree that transphobia and homophobia, racism shouldn't even be a part of the discussion. So it's like, let's talk about ways in a productive context to where we can, when it's when it's fit, we can discuss and attack those issues. But I'm just not going to create scenarios out of thin air. I'm going to take it yeah. scenario by scenario. And there are situations that do come up where we do need to emphasize um, LGBTQ awareness and stuff, but just for the sake of saying, "Hey, I'm a gay person. I'm a black person. I'm, a, I'm, I'm not." You're not going to see that a lot on this forum. And if people go back to the episodes, I've had trans people on this forum. I've had gay people, black people. I've had intersex people. I've had indigenous people. So I have these people on the forum, but I don't have to advertise it in your face. Hey, this person is gay, pansexual, yeah. bisexual. I don't do that type of stuff. And so, and that's the way I think it should be because I think humanity, I think the people themselves don't necessarily want to be labeled as such. I think yeah. people want to live their lives and I think people need to treat people with common decency. 
but we have to definitely stop um, condemning people because they don't necessarily have our cultural lens. I see too yeah. much of it. I understand that people aren't going to be on my cultural level of understanding. That's a part of my job in education. But we have to get to that point. We just can't assume that people are going to get there on their own. And you're not helping the cause by, by trashing people. So right. I want to believe that people have um, good intentions. I want to give people the benefit of the doubt. And I think we need to stop assuming that people don't have that potential. Um, and the people who do the condemnation, a lot of times aren't even at the cultural threshold in the first place to be the person yeah. judging the person. And so I want to say that to everybody out there, just um, let's talk to people like the humans, first of all. Let's be respectful of people. That's all I ask for people. And then we can go from there. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And um, yeah, yeah you, hit on, you hit on a lot of things that I agree with there. Yeah, you seem uh, to say something, but you're like, okay, I agree with that. It's just... Yeah. um. And it's not a way to um, abort yeah. the topics. I mean, I've had, we've pretty much well, dealt no, with uh, any type of topic we can deal with on this forum. And so um, for the audience, if you want to hear different types of stuff, let me know. But honestly, I don't get that complaint from my audience um, because you really never know what you're going to get. And I think that's the suspense behind the forum is that we do attack and talk about different types of topics. And that's the way I want it to be. I want it to be an open forum. Yeah. And I, I don't want to hit on necessarily the like the, the social hot buttons either, because those those are designed those are designed to paint anybody ugly. There's there. It's, um, you know, everyone's allowed. There's certain things that are just going to be your personal opinion, your personal way of dealing with it. And that people need to not be arguing about those things. Um, uh, you know, with each other, that's stupid. Um, and, and another thing that I was, I was kind of laughing when you were talking, it's like, if it did come down to, you know, just come down to, to like shucking and jiving and, and talking trash, uh, gosh, geez, I'm 36 years old from the West coast. Um, <laughs> 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 uh, I don't think that's the, that's not the kind of uh, it's not the kind of situation you want to put yourself in with me, because um, that that would just uh, well I don't, I don't as far and especially at, at this level I don't want to I don't want to argue with anybody at this level but at the at the higher level say I was at there that's just oh man that's really easy pickings, um, <laughs> so but yeah, yeah but it is um. It is a tough, um, it's tough when it seems like there is a litmus test on, um, it seems like there's a litmus test on stances, information, and there has to be this um, protocol that's met. Yeah. I just think that, um, I don't know if it's just a lack of respect for people or what. This is like, for instance, um, I'm not, I am getting into a cultural a cultural issue, like a hot button issue. The whole idea about pronouns around um, people who prefer pronouns, me personally, I don't see it as any different. My name is Jerry. My real name is Jerry, right. but I don't prefer to be called Jerry. I prefer to be called Kiko. 
So I don't see that as any different. I think if people use like common sense, like universal experiences, yeah. they would realize that it's not really that big of a deal. I don't understand. It's not. People feel like their rights have been taken away just because you're addressing somebody as whatever their yeah. preferred pronoun is. I just don't know how this stuff has gotten so blown out of proportion. Well, it doesn't and, make and any on, sense. And on the other hand, it's also like if you if you mis misgender somebody in public, like calm down, you know, it allow them allow them to be corrected. Don't jump down their throat because if you jump down their throat, they're just going to argue with you. They're going to find they're going to find all the toxic thoughts in their brain about your existence. And mm -hmm. as it's like, okay, say if I want to be called a girl, but I don't look like a girl to this person and they call me, sir, I can be like, Hey, I actually prefer to be called ma'am. Um, as opposed to like, excuse me, did you just assume my, you know, like the, I don't know how much of that actually happens. Cause I, I was someone who didn't wear a mask a lot during COVID. Um, and I wasn't, you know, I'm not someone that's in people's faces in general. And I honestly got some of the best customer service um, in general during that time, because I would sit behind my shopping cart. I wouldn't try to get in anybody's face, um, you know, and, you know, I'd be sitting there and the, the clear, I'd stay behind the plastic. I remember one time this was uh, this guy with the mask. He was getting behind the plastic in, in, the, in the cashier's face, like trying to point to something on the, on the, on the screen. And you could tell the cashier was just so completely uncomfortable with them mm -hmm. being in their space like that. And it was during when a lot of people were like, it was 90% of the store was people in masks, conservative or liberal. Um, and and it's just like, gosh, this is just, it's just, that's such such a common sense thing in the first place, you know, your personal space. And then I walked up, I, I kept my, my cart between the, the paving and then I, and me, and uh, I didn't wear a mask. I didn't, you know, I didn't advance towards the cashier. And I got that particular time was some of the best customer service I ever got. Because um, the person was just so relieved I wasn't in their face. Um, and I think uh, I think that's a way that's a way to kind of approach a lot of these hot button topics is what what have you actually experienced? What do you actually experience with people when you're out in the world? That's a nice way to look at it. I, I did have one final question. It kind of goes back to the first conversation and the first part of that conversation. When I hear the word independent, you're running as an independent. Um, do you see that as because a lot of people see they're more of us than anybody i identify as an independent but i think the terminology is twisted because what i see in the mainstream media and what i see normally from people if you talk to everyday people they see independent as i'm not a democrat or i'm not a republican but that's not the way i see independent how do you view an independent and I'll tell you what I view as an independent. Uh, you you familiar with Chris Rock? Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm liberal about some shit. I'm conservative about some shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's being an independent to me. Uh, <laughs> That's but all I there think, is to it. But I think that that's a serious problem with people that are running for public office that are mm -hmm. third party and independent. Um, 
Right. I think my biggest criticism, honestly, for people who are running, there's no reason why they we shouldn't have a large third party movement or independent movement. We can only go back to the 18.9% national support that Ross Perot got in 1992 to even in recent history to compare to, like ever since then it's just dropped consistently. That it's to the point where people use this spoiler terminology to describe people who aren't running as a Democrat or Republican. You're just a spoiler. Like you know you're not going to win, so why even be involved in the race? You hear this all the time in the presidential cycles. But I think if someone is an independent, they need to specify that I want to build an independent movement outside of the two-party system. I don't ever hear that. When I hear, I think there's a difference between being an independent and simply saying that I'm not a Democrat and Republican, because that ultimately means that people are going to assume when the time comes, you're going to choose one option or the other. I don't see independent yeah, yeah. that way. I see independent as simply, no, I don't believe in that system. I don't believe in being a yeah. Democrat or a Republican. I want to build something outside of that. And I don't hear that enough. And I don't see enough sustainability in these candidates. Um, and a lot of people do go back to just supporting the blue side or the red side because they don't see any viability in their own independence. So what would you say to people, including yourself, what do we need to do to build an independent movement and give people the power to say, you know what, I don't have to be an, a Democrat or Republican, and I don't have to be shamed for being that? Um, the exposure, and then uh, I'll put it pretty frankly, to get the exposure, the you got to buy into it. Um, if you're going to say I'm an independent thinker or I want to at least see the, th like, I'll still be blue or red, but I want to see that third, you've got to buy into it, which means you've got to invest into it. Um, so, <laughs> you know, I don't like asking people for money, but it's like, you're going to have to give me some money because that's the only way any of us could, can defeat the media system. Like I, I actually do, I, I have my ways um, through naval service and and being an athlete in general, um, I could I could get to the TV if I had money, if I had capital to show these other people that could you know take me seriously. But it it's it does you you it gets to the point you do you have to buy into it. You have to play the game that's already being played, um, and so and that doesn't necessarily always mean donations and buying stuff at the sharing this podcast or, you know, sharing the website, you know, like, like in the case of my website, you have to have that exact link because they still want more money for me to hit, to get my domain name. Well, I'm not going to get enough money for that domain name with some of my other bills. If people don't start buying into it. Um, and that's why I, I still try to do these interviews, even though I know I'm a bit of a hermit crab, it only takes, a little bit, you know, and to get this, to get the snowball rolling. Um, but that's, that's, that's more at the end of the day, any kind of, you know, mind over matter thing, you got to start buying into it. You got to start believing that you can push. I think something when I was pushing for Gary Johnson in 2016, I think this, if you, if you start polling at 10%, CNN and Fox takes you on, you'd be independent, libertarian, whatever you start, you reach that threshold, you're exposed. And I think for someone like me, 
in particular, um, you reach that threshold and you become undefeatable. But to get to that threshold, people have to buy in. And so that's interesting, your response to that, um, the visibility aspect of it. I thought that was actually one of the first things I thought about. But I'm going to try to see if I can get John Stasevich on. Mm -hmm. uh, John Stasevich ran as an independent. He ran, he dropped out of the race relatively early. Um, we've become friends since. Um, and he was a he was a favorite to a lot of people in the forum. Um, I, I really thought John was building something strong um, in his independent candidacy. He had worked previously under the Obama administration. I think he had done like phone banking and a bunch of stuff for the Bernie Sanders um, campaign. He also did a lot of work. He knew a lot of higher ups. Um, so he had experience going in as far as the, the visibility aspect. He realized that he wasn't getting the traction that he wanted, so he ended up dropping out. So in case the audience wants, wants to know what happened to John Stasevich, he dropped out of the race, actually went to his house. Um, before he dropped out of the race, we you know, had an exchange. We talked. We did another interview while we were there um, that was independent from this forum. And it wasn't me promoting him. It was simply we had a discussion. I was already in Michigan anyway, so I had a conversation with him. Um, good guy. Um, he's he's um, in his 70s, now he's 71, I believe. But we talked and he talked about some of the defense, like the, the problems running as an independent. Um, one of the major problems is that people, I'm an independent forum, but independents have a problem even going on the more high profile independent forums. I'm not going to expose too much of what we talked about off air, but there's an issue in independent media not putting the money where the mouth is. It doesn't cost a thing to invite guests on to simply have an interview. It doesn't cost these people a dime. Mm -hmm. But the people, do they not have enough clicks if they bring on a certain person or they don't? Yeah. So we don't have enough independent-minded people. People who say that they're independent really aren't independent. Because right. at that point, they're creating a tier of independence based on how popular you are as an independent coming in. Yeah. And so, yes, I will throw the Jimmy Doors. I'll throw the Russell Brands under the bus because these people, to me, aren't really independent. To me, they're different level. They're basically the mainstream media at this point. Joe Rogan, the mainstream media at this point. Sure, yeah. they may have started out independent, but to me, when you have that high of a profile and you don't pinpoint people like Gavin Bonney and John Stasevich and Brittany Jones, I emailed Joe Rogan and he didn't respond. They, I only emailed this capacity. Once, they have this capacity. And even people who are small scale, and um, I'm not going to mention their name because I want to protect the innocent. <laughs> Let's just say these people have 100,000 followers. They may not even have that many. Let's say that they have 40,000 followers, 30,000. I know the people. I'm not going to mention. I'm not going to name drop on this forum. I don't do that here. But these people get so big, quote unquote, they go from a small channel like I have, around 300 subscribers, and they get bigger. But then they don't invite certain guests on because they get to a certain tier of independence within the algorithm, treats them a little bit better. Yeah. But they don't advocate for people who are running outside of the two-party system. So I think we need no more collaboration from those voices. Yep. 
in order to get to that. And hopefully the presidential forum that we have in December will be a vehicle. I want it to be a vehicle for people to maybe be invited on free equal elections. I don't know if you're familiar with that organization, free equal elections. I'm actually going to interview the president of free equal elections, uh, Christina Tobin, who gives people a higher platform. And so hopefully the, the point of this forum is to get people even more visible. Um, and maybe I may become that platform eventually. I may become an independent. I don't want to be Joe Rogan. Honestly, I don't want to be that popular because I think once in this culture, if you're that popular, that means you have. I'm not going to I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to say what I really want to say. I, so I said to myself because I don't want to be mean to people. But I just think that you have to have a certain level of clickbait type stuff to get that big, honestly. Yeah. I would not want to have 10 million followers. Um, right. Not doing it this way anyway. If I got a million people doing it this way, that would mean a lot. But yeah. um, let's just do what we're doing right now and just promote people who are trying to do the right things and mm. and promote independence, promote free thought. Mm. And I don't know, Mr. Gavin Bonney, if you have any final thoughts, because um, I don't want to keep talking too much. We're well into two hours into the discussion. <laughs> which I didn't think going in that we would talk over two hours. I was thinking more an hour and a half, but I've enjoyed this discussion and uh, I hope my audience does as well, but I want to leave it to you. Any final words or thoughts that you may have for my audience and where people can reach you in case they had a question or a comment. Um, I, I guess my main thing would just be like a, a call to arms. If, if you're interested or if you want to see me elaborate more or get me get me more in the light um you guys can contact me through twitter um and i mean i, I i'm recruit i guess i'm recruiting people to kind of get behind the get behind the uh get behind the force because the more support i start to get the bigger i i'll, I'll snowball fast i know i will um, but it's very hard dealing with, uh, personal issues and, and just, you know, being this independent in the first place, I'm a very independent person, like a Husky dog as it is. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I hope that, uh, hope that some people hear, hear what I have to say and, uh, reach out to me. I wish, I wish I had a better email or something people to email but the twitter will be fine um just contact me there i if anybody wants to run a twitter the twitter for me and things like that um i i'm i'm ready to go i just need some some people to come come out from the woodworks i i i've got a background in performance arts um i just need people and capital to kind of start to show up and I think that's the dilemma for everyone that's, that's come on the forum. Uh, the, you're obviously at a disadvantage monetarily speaking yeah. and regarding the technology component. Even some of the people who have come on the forum who has who have hundreds of thousands of followers on TikTok, for instance, certain mm -hmm. platforms, uh, they still deal with a lot of suppression. Brittany Jones, have, has, she's um, given those frustrations to the forum previously. So I think even when you do get to a certain level, 
you will definitely start to get resistance um, because you start to threaten the system at that point that's intact. But hopefully my form again, please share, subscribe to this video, um, subscribe to the forum and tell your friends and family about it. You know, one by one, you never know who this is gonna reach. Um, I got some new support yesterday, not monetary support, but I got more support um, from Twitter. I've started to be a little bit more active on Twitter. That's actually how I came across you. I didn't know who you were before. I saw where we followed each other. I think you may have followed me first. Yeah, I, was, I don't even I know was, how you found out about me personally, which I, thought I when I when I started Twitter, I just kind of was whatever whatever came in and bit or liked or I just I just tried to follow it and to see that was my technique at first. Um, yeah, and it, it it worked okay. Um, I I I my social media presence needs needs a filter so anybody out there who is into that type of thing uh get in contact with me what do you <laughs> mean a filter? do you mean as far as the content is concerned I, I yeah well yeah i'm a young i'm a young man and i say things uh i i would say i have far less of a filter than uh some of the people that uh <laughs> we don't like or society's not a big fan of mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, so I just I just need to be kept in check there, because um, my my main thing is to just I want to reform. I want I want to make the world a better place and actually do the job at hand, get it done, and then go on with my life. I actually I I kind of joke with my my counselor. He uh, <laughs> I don't think he quite gets it. I'm like I I want to be president before I get my doctorate so that I have something to do after I. Um, after I'm the president, I go get my doctorate afterwards. So, 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 just so the audience has this information, what's the easiest way to contact you? And um, I will link your site in the episode description. Yeah, so link the site. You know what to do there. Mm -hmm. um, I have to remember my my Twitter handle. Um, and maybe hopefully I can get um. Maybe I'll set something up that you can. Uh... I'll I'll definitely link that in the description. Your Twitter information. Okay. It's at sign Bonnie B O N N E Y fourth numeral four Prez P R E Z. Bonnie for Prez mm -hmm. um, at Bonnie for Prez is the handle. I will also link to Google Doc, which is. Um, Mr. Bonnie's um, official <clears throat> website. It has all of his policy information there. Um, again, pretty, a very interesting site because it has a lot of humor in it. You talked earlier about your um, interest in stand-up. You, um, you like that yeah. for sure. I can see the humor in your site. It may go over some people's heads, but I definitely yeah. saw it as funny. Um, I, th I think it's creative. <laughs> it's a good way to get to get younger people, I think. For sure. Um, but I just want to say thank you for having this conversation. Thanks for coming back onto the forum. And we're looking forward to hearing your thoughts and um, getting some of the of your solutions from the audience when we have this presidential forum on de in December. And I'll give you all the rules and, you know, the protocols when the time is spent.
But I want to say thank you again, Mr. Bonnie. Uh, beautiful people, enjoy your day. On Sunday, we have the People's Party of Texas coming up. And we have a plethora of guests lined up for the month of October. I believe we have 13 or 14 interviews uh, left for the month of October. And that's not including December and November. So we have a lot of activity on the forum. Subscribe to Kiko's Free Thinkers Forum. We're not emphasizing the podcast version as much. You can subscribe there too as well. Any of your Spotify, your Radio Public, your Apple, your Google, your Amazon, whatever you use for audio podcasting. But we're really trying to push the YouTube channel. That's where most of the traction is. We have 90 different countries we've reached already and we want to continue reaching more people one click at a time. So subscribe for free. It doesn't cost you anything. And um, please subscribe to Amir Napier, her Empathic Times as well, episode 66. Um, we talked about Palestine. A lot of her content is um, is not the same as mine, but she puts a lot of work into her channel. And she's an independent thinker. And so I always like to promote those channels, Empathic Times, E-M-P-H-A-T-I-C, Times, and um. You can go back to episode 66 and you can watch her episode, her latest episode. But I want to say thank you again, Mr. Gavin Bonney, episode 37 and now episode 68. We yep. appreciate you and enjoy your day. Thank you so much. I do. I do want to give one last shout out. If you do go and check out the memes, uh, some of the memes, a lot of the memes are original uh, in the humor. But I'd like to give a shout out to at decelerate your life at po smoke official shit my lpo says action figure therapy any of that uh we'll call enlisted underground movement any enlisted humor people um i couldn't have developed some of my viewpoints and this site without you um i don't even actually know a lot of you by name but so if you're out there and you're enlisted and you're in the mafia let's do this so, so let's get this video out. Let's make it viral. Let's get it out so we can get your name out. And, and that goes for all the candidates that are running. You really need to be promoting your content because um, we're at the, the stress now. You know, we're talking about a year from now before we really, I guess you have technically 14 months um, left, I guess, something like that. I'm not exactly, I'm so confused. That time is so weird to me right now. So we have about 13 months left, so. We really yeah, got to get going to promote I, I, information. I'd, I'd like to get popping in time to maybe sit in on some 49ers games. That's, that's probably the only way I'm going to be able to afford a ticket this year. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, Beautiful people. Enjoy your day, and we will talk soon. Cheers. Cheers.